Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer and Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And this man just needs one line to introduce him. The greatest intercontinental champion of all time. <laughs> and there's no dispute about it. He's the honky talk man. Mr. Honky, Boy. good to see you. Well, I tell you what, you finally got it right. I mean, most people don't ever say that like that, but uh, you put the emphasis on it, that like like Mean Gene would do the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Well, I'm going to uh, do it right way. I'm cool. I'm cocky. I'm bad. I'm a honky dog man. I'm coming through your town. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, uh, it's like I was saying, you, you say that thing long enough, people start believing it, I guess. <laughs> I'm kind of hey. like, like that. I'm kind of like that my pillow guy. The more you see it on TV, the more you start believing. <laughs> <laughs> way way mad at you that's great great to see you you and i go back you know before way before even layfield even came along man that's yeah, a long time yeah, ago and yeah. happy birthday happy birthday to uh to my, my fellow uh uh man over there don bradshaw layfield who happens to share a birthday with one of your cousins jerry the king and all and another great friend of yours uh the great Dutch Mantel. So happy birthday to the threes from there all week long. So, so uh, happy birthday. But, but Wayne, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. It's a small we, community here now. Yeah, sure <laughs> we, we, we go back to, I think, the, the, the late 70s or maybe even early 80s when you first made your way down here. But but your, your story, a lot of people think all of a sudden you just showed up at WWF and you're the honky-tonk, man. But there was a long, what, 10, 12-year yeah. building process yeah. to get yeah. there. And it all started out with you training with with some true legends. And 
And I kind of heard the story, and I know the I know the fact that, that you said that it's true because he's trained in a barn, air air conditioned barn with the cows and and horses. They had to, if you wanted to water or fresh yourself over, you just went over the horse trough and and wash yourself yeah. off. Yeah, but you got you got some of the greatest training. You got that good old Southern training and put you ready to become world famous honky-tonk man. Tell us a little bit about that 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 uh, beginning with you. Yeah, that's uh, uh, Herb Welch, the, the Welch family, the Fullers. Uh, he Herb trained me. I trained up in his barn up there in uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee. I started training when I got out of college. I graduated in uh, December of 75 from uh, – Now, this is Memphis, right? Memphis yeah, University, Memphis. right? And then uh, uh, about midway through, I'd be graduating in December, and I graduated with a, a physical education degree. And it, it's hard to get hired on teaching in a, in a mid-year like that. So there was no jobs available, nothing. So I, I, I kind of stayed in school and started working on a master's, and that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And a couple of my buddies had started training up there with Herb, and and of course, Jerry, being my cousin, Jerry Lawler, his mother, my mother's sisters, were sisters, both passed away now. Uh, he was doing quite well over there in Memphis and uh, and, and uh, with the wrestling. And I never really considered it that much because I wanted to teach and coach. And then uh, I went up there with those boys one Sunday night in Herb's barn. And heck, that, that pro wrestling bit me. I mean, it, I was hooked. <laughs> uh, and that was it. And, uh, and then... Uh, her being, uh, you know, in the Welch family, and with every all the contacts they had across the South, which was just about every territory. They, they, they owned they owned every territory, they, in the, or they, they had, had a everything. piece of every every, every yeah, territory. Yeah, they had somebody, South. either a brother or a sister, yeah. or uh, uh, somebody was working in an office somewhere. So I, I was never out of work, and. Uh, Herb was a real good trainer. Herb was probably one of the better of the Welches, the, of the workers of the old-time Welch family. You know, Buddy Fuller was a good worker, and Robert Ron became good workers, and Jackie Welch did too, and Roy Lee, all those guys that came along. Yeah. But uh, the old-timers, Herb was probably the best. But Roy was a, the promoter, and he was in Nashville at the time. So uh, just saying that you were trained by Herb Welch opened a lot of doors for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what did how you it coach? I was a high school football coach. Did, did you did you actually start coaching at one point? Yeah, yeah, I coached for uh, two seasons, and then uh, I resigned. <laughs> this is something I, I trained with her. I, I trained with her for about nine months, and the Coco was there training with me. My other cousin Carl Fergie, he had gone through there, mm -hmm. and my partner that I had when uh, I met up uh, uh, with Jerry and them down in Tampa, uh, Larry Booker, Larry Latham, he went through there. And uh, David Schultz had gone through there the year before me, Dr. D. David Schultz. So Herb trained a lot of good guys. But uh, uh, I resigned from teaching. Herb got me booked for Speedy Hatfield in uh, Mobile, in the Mobile Territory. This was before it was Pensacola. And I resigned from my teaching and coaching job, man. And uh, we had a, a Christmas reunion type thing at one of my aunt's houses in Memphis. And Lawler was there. He came by and he said, how's the resident going? I said, well, it's okay. I resigned from teaching. I'm going to start in Mobile next week. He said, they did, Herb didn't tell you? What? They closed the territory. What? And my, <laughs> man, I'll tell you what. It was like, are you kidding me? He said, no. <laughs> and uh, 
Well, I hadn't talked to her. But I, I was getting my bags packed. I was leaving. I thought I was, you know, I'm going out on the road, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be somebody. And then uh, he, Lawler said, well, you know, if you want to, you can come to work for us, and uh, I can give you some TV work. I said, okay, when? He said, how about tomorrow? Okay, so I went to Memphis <laughs> TV and called Herb the next day, and I said, what's going on there with that deal in Mobile? And he said, oh man, I meant to tell you he closed the territory so well that's that that don't help me very much herb i mean for christ's sakes i said well can you get me in nashville or somewhere and, and they were having a falling out uh herb and uh and jerry uh, uh herb and nick goulas and jerry jack and those guys and you do, you, you just quit your job coaching right so yes I so you're wow wow you're stuck in the middle of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and anyway lawler gave me the tv job and I went over there and worked a couple of times under a mask and then worked as myself, you know, did the normal TV stuff. And, and uh, then he said, uh, I said, well, are you going to be able to use me? I don't have a place to go. But back to the Herb story, Herb told me don't go to Nashville. He didn't want me to work up there for Nick because they were had started. They were starting to split away then where Jerry Jarrett took the territory from Nick down on that, that end of Memphis. And you, you know, that story, of, right. uh, Jerry. Right. And uh, so anyway, and Herb ran a town for uh, for Jerry Jarrett and for Nick back then, Blyville, Arkansas. And he said, well, if worse comes to worse, you can just work for me every Friday night in Blyville. Well, Friday, one night a week, wouldn't that, you know, that wasn't going to pay my bills. But anyway, I, I hung on there with, with Lawler and them. And uh, finally, uh, Lawler didn't do much with me. You know, he behaved, had me under a mask here and drive 500 miles one way to Louisville and couldn't ride with anybody because I wasn't on the I wasn't on a loop with everybody, and and then Jerry Jarrett took over about midway through that year, and that's when he sent me down to to uh, Tampa. You guys were having yeah. that. Uh, well, way way back up term. there, yeah, back up there, right before you leave the Tampa. Now you said uh, uh, Jarrett took over. They had the strangest booking uh, routine of any place I've ever seen. Yeah. Just in the middle of a program in the middle of the week, no yeah. matter what day it was, they had a six months. Another guy would drop his uh, take 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 his books, bring them in, and push the other guy's books aside. That had to be so confusing with the talent because each yeah. one of those guys are going to have their favorites, no matter what's going on. Well, yeah, because if if Jerry Jerry uh, wanted some guys, he would use those guys, and if Jerry Lawler had guys, and Lawler wanted these, so yeah, it was a mess. And you know, Robert and Ron did the same thing. Right. Robert would take over from Ron and then Robert would give it to Bob Armstrong and then Bob would have it for two months and Ron would come back. Huh. Uh, but yeah, so, but I got a pretty good education, but I got sent down there with you guys and they saw Larry is first time I ran across him. And for the folks out there listening, Larry uh, Latham, he was named then for, he was working in Atlanta for Ole. He became spot Moondog for all the WWE fans out there. Uh, but Ole sent him down for you because you guys needed a, for having a big tag team tournament. Right, over in St. Petersburg. At the Bayfront Center, yeah. Someone had sent me the card the other day uh, because I mentioned I was coming on your show and they, they mailed it to me and I saw it. But uh, we wrestled you and Jack and uh, you guys got disqualified, dropped me over top rope. We, But anyway, we dropped, we... We went into the finals and, and uh, the belts went to Pac Song and Killer Khan. That's who took the belts there. And then you were booking, I think you were booking at the time because you had called Jarrett and needed somebody and he sent me. Right. And yeah. uh, 
then we came back. You wanted to keep us, and we came back down there. And then Buddy Buddy Rogers took over. Right. During that period of time. And then uh, well, that's a whole different story with him. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't last very long either. So <laughs> No, business went, went straight to hell. And, you know, he, and, and I think that's when I called you in. And I did this to several of the guys that I saw that had talent because, you know, Buddy, Buddy, Buddy was jealous because you guys had that nice blonde hair. I, I mean, John, oh, this is this is a true story, and uh, it happened on a lot of these guys that had the blonde hair. But anyway, I, I called you in. I said, "Man, you got a lot of talent. If uh, if you say here, all this guy is going to do is beat you on TV every week." And and, and know, I and yeah. I'm thinking, you know, man, I want to make some money with this guy, but I know I know Rogers don't have that sort of that. But the best place for him to get out while he was still young in the business without getting, you know, established as as a as an enhancement guy, was to get the hell out of Dodge for a while. You know, yep, and so I, buddy, I uh, made, made a couple phone calls for you. He uh he was be, he was squashing all the top guys down there in like 10, yeah. 15 seconds and he was like running wild. I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't believe Eddie was letting him do it, but, but he did it. And, and then, uh, did you say, did you say long enough to see him, uh, uh, destroy Pedro Morales with those, uh, 90 minute matches with, uh, Lars Anderson, 90 and two hour matches. No, no, I, I was, he, he oh was, my he, God. <laughs> he was beating everyone down there back then in 10, 15, 20 seconds, yeah. go out there and attack them and put the figure four on them. One, two, three. And, and uh yeah it was uh yeah favorite anyway. finish slip on a banana pill yeah i guess so uh, i loved it down there i really did I, I i never got a chance to go back because when we left when we left there then and and uh we stopped in ocala and and larry called uh Ole to see if we could get in there and Ole said i don't have a spot for you but jerry jarrett everyone the fullers were working for jarrett back then and tanaka and fuji George George Jr., the list goes on and on. Tony Charles, all those guys are working. And Jimmy Golden, of course, Robert Ron. The whole territory, Stomper, they up and gave Jerry like a three-day notice and left and went back to Knoxville. And uh, Ole said, Jerry Jarrett needs somebody right now. So we called Jerry Jarrett. I did because I knew Jerry. And he says, yeah, I can use you guys. When can you get here? We said, we'll be there tomorrow night. And we started in, uh, in uh, Tupelo that friday night and that's when we did that concession stand thing yeah just out of the blue hey, so it all get... fell into place uh uh jerry you know when you right I, i've had so many i have a lot of doors that's closed but every time one closed something will open up yeah. and uh and that's how it went you mentioned the concession match that's probably one of the, one of the most historic matches in the south and it was hardcore before hardcore it became was awesome. hardcore it was awesome <laughs> I, I, found, Hunky, I just found it on youtube and watched it wow. this morning it, that match was freaking awesome we didn't know match. anything about it nothing jerry jarrett came in the locker room and uh, he said fellas we got to do something they all left we got nobody <laughs> he said you guys in a tag match tonight go three falls, and at the end of the third fall, just tear the building up. Go in the concession stand, tear everything up. What? Okay. Uh -oh. We didn't know anything. We were just, you know, we had Larry and I had, had only worked together in Tampa for a few tag matches down there for about four, five, six weeks. And then here we're all with Lawler and Dundee. And man, I'll tell you what, it was it was really something. They always they would always film. It wasn't, it didn't just happen that they filmed it that night. Uh, 
uh, periodically, uh, the TV people, Lance Russell, would come there uh, and they would film on that fr- on the Friday night out of Tupelo and grab some footage for the Saturday TV show. So it wasn't like they were planning to be there because they would typically were there every Friday night anyway, grabbing some kind of footage or something. And uh, it happened. Lance, Lance didn't really know about it either. Uh, Jerry Jarrett, I don't know when he thought about it or how or where, but he he did it and it, it popped that place wide open we had turn away crowds for six months couldn't uh, they showed it on memphis tv that saturday morning we went to jonesboro arkansas and the building wouldn't hold but about 400 people and there was four thousand lined up it was the darndest thing and and it went on for a long time yeah and the business the business popped right away i mean it was right it, after that was shown the business yeah it, it, yeah within <laughs> it showed on tv at 11 o'clock in the morning saturday morning and uh by six o'clock that night, the buildings were all they were sold out everywhere, turned people away. Then, then Jerry Jarrett got to he he got to working with Nick a little bit more. Nick was crying, and Nick's territory was going to heck up there and drawing nothing. So he said, "Would you please send them boys up there and let's do it up here?" So we went up to Nashville and did it, and uh, went around with Nick and did the whole thing up there. Yeah, and a whole nother territory. territory. How did the territory work? You had you had Memphis running, you had Nashville running, and then you had uh, Knoxville running also, which Mulligan ended up taking over, right? Yeah, so I went over there. I, that, 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 that's a whole other story, too. But you had, you had three different territories in Tennessee, basically, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And the, then, the, Well, no, because Knoxville was not Nick, – Nick Goulas never had Knoxville. Uh, that was always – that was a, 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 another guy had it uh, before – and he ran mostly out of Knoxville and then over in uh, Kentucky and, and West Virginia in that area. And Ron, Ron Fuller uh, bought that thing, took it from him. I, I don't know if Fuller's ever bought anything. They usually just went in. It's like Nick said, why do you want to buy something when you can steal it? So <laughs> <laughs> Much easier that way. <laughs> and, uh, and Nick was an expert on that. Like, I, 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 Hong Kong, you're talking about all these guys leaving in that area there. Was that a part of that takeover when the ex with Roop and Ronnie Garvin and all those guys doing the no, expose? That, that, that happened. That happened later on. Then I, I think uh, that was that was later on because the uh, that's when uh, uh, Randy Savage's dad, uh, Angelo Poffo, and those guys had opened up over there in Kentucky. And we're going to try to run opposition. So that's when Bob Bob Roop and those guys took off on Ron Fuller. Ron, it's like I said, there was a things going on over there with the with the Roy Welch because Roy had gotten in bad health and 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 couldn't function anymore. And they put him in a home. And Buddy was Buddy came over there and tried to take it over and help Nick and then work with Jerry Jarrett. And then Buddy ended up leaving Nick and Nick ended up just by himself. And and then Ron came over to work with Jerry Jarrett, and they had a falling out. So Ron up and left, took everybody and went to Knoxville. So it was the, it was the family and politics that just don't <laughs> and family politics and business don't work. They just don't work. And when you got the Fuller family, you get the heck you got about a hundred of them. They're all over the country. <laughs> and, and, and you got to have a program to know which was a Fuller or a Welch or a Fargo or Green or whatever the heck. Well, be yeah, because see, like I said, Speedy, I was going down for Speedy Hatfield. Now, Speedy was married to uh, Herb and Royce's uh, uh, sister. 
that's how the Hatfields are involved down there <laughs> in, in Mobile and Pensacola. And then uh, Jimmy Golden's daddy, Bill Golden. Bill had, Golden, yeah. Bill had the Birmingham territory. He had Birmingham yeah. and Montgomery and those towns. And so, <laughs> and then Roy, uh, Jackie Welch, Jackie, uh, Jack Welch, he had some, he had Mississippi and Pittsburgh and Jackson, Meridian, yeah. those places. And uh, Roy Lee and Jackie, which is his sons. Jackie ran Tallahassee. You know Jackie because you guys yeah. used to go up for Jackie in Tallahassee. Right. right. And uh, so that's uh, and then what uh, a th- what Lester, a Thanksgiving that what a Thanksgiving that had to be. Yeah, and the Lester worked in you guys' office yeah. in Tampa. Yeah, Lesser has the reputation of of getting mugged in the Bahamas. You, you did you work the Bahamas for us when you were no, down there? No, no, I never got down there. But no. you you probably heard those stories. You know, we would charter an airplane over, and, and Lester would go over, and he'd make the deals uh, and all that stuff. He he got beat up three times carrying a briefcase that had had the gate receipts on it. So. Guys, well, we're sorry. We got no money. <laughs> uh, well, it's something about the Bahamas and the Welches. You know, uh, Ron ended up down there for a while, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very mysterious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to tell us that? <laughs> uh, I, I, he just, Ron would just up and be gone sometimes, and then they'd say, what happened to Ron? Well, he's, he just sold the territory. Or he's running a hockey team, and no, he sold that. And uh, Yeah, it was uh, always something. I don't even know how Mulligan. Uh, uh, John just brought up Mulligan in Nash in in Knoxville. Oh, but Jim Barnett, Jim Barnett, Jim Barnett, uh, Fuller were having trouble, so they wanted Barnett to buy it, and uh, and uh, Barnett because of the TV obligation, Barnett uh, couldn't swing it because of some type of TV. So he got uh, Blackjack, and I think Flair was involved, and 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 one one other person. I'm not sure on the details. But they ended up buying it. They tried it, tried to run it. And, you know, back in those days, especially when you got three guys that are owning the territory and they all want to be on top, you got some, you got some issues. Yeah, and, they, the and their TV, I went over there with Kevin Sullivan. Kevin and I were tagged, were uh, uh, in Memphis together. And uh, then Kevin wanted to get back home. His wife and family was living in Knoxville at the time. And so he's, he's, he was then with Mulligan and those guys, so uh, I ended up leaving Jarrett and going over with him to Knoxville. And uh, the TV, w- we were getting mostly tapes out of Charlotte. So they were seeing a lot of Charlotte guys and not us, not the the, Knox, the, the, the Mulligan people. So the towns just, they just weren't drawing at all. They were terrible. And now, mind you, Jack, you're, like you said, he, Jack, thought – Flair would always come and help, but Flair didn't ever show up at all. But Jack, he he would book something like Dick the Bruiser and uh, and Bruiser Brody against him and John Jack Mulligan and John Stud. Well, you got four, you got four folks out there that ain't they want even sell eye gouges, you know? <laughs> and uh, I don't, it just didn't work. And it not well, the, the the fan the fans in Knoxville and that Tennessee area they were used to seeing guys that could go. I'm yeah. not just stand there and punch and yeah. kick and then yeah. high gouge. They were yeah. guys just a guy like you and, and yeah. Latham and yeah. and all all the guys that were moving around at Morton. I mean, what what a sudden lineup they had there. Yeah, they, even yeah, the Fuller, even the Fullers as big as they were, they realized that you had to work there. You realized you had to sell them off and no Yeah, the, that whole area over there had been indoctrinated with that the Fullerism. 
And yeah. when you work within the Fullers, you know, they, they, they you worked and you put on these, right. you put on a good show and, and they had a lot going on over there at the time. And, and, uh, but Jack could, Jack could never get going. He called us in one day. He said, boys, he said, uh, he said, I just can't afford to pay you anymore. And <laughs> he said, what do you guys want to do? And Bobby Eaton said, well, Jack, you can't afford to pay me. I can't afford to stay. And he looked at me and said, Wayne, what about you? I said, well, I'm kind of with Bobby, I guess, if you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we ended up leaving and, but, uh, he, Jack had some good boys over there. He, Terry yeah. Taylor, it was his first territory. Uh, uh, Barry got started there. Barry was, was just getting started. He was, Barry Wyndham was one of the best titles I've ever seen. Uh, and, uh, yeah. uh, he was there. Bundy came over there, but he came down. It was his first territory. Bundy had long brown hair and big, impressive guy. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, there, Tim Horner was over there and uh, those boys are around Knoxville. Some good, it was some good talent there at the time, but we just didn't have the power of the television uh, to to keep us going. And, and they how were seeing the Charlotte there? guys, so and they weren't getting Charlotte right. guys. They were and seeing Ole and going, Gene and all that stuff. How'd you end up going to uh, Puerto Rico? Did you go to Puerto Rico from there? And, and Larry Latham didn't go with you to Puerto Rico, right? You no, Larry and, I, Larry and I busted up there, and it's the last time I saw Larry. Never saw him again. Never ran across really? him again. Yeah, we was in we were in Nashville and we were over in Nashville working for Nick. And uh, this was before the Knoxville thing and Dutch, Dutch Mantel, you mentioned Dutch earlier. <laughs> Dutch was, uh, Dutch was going back to Puerto Rico, him and Cowboy Frankie Lane had, had a big run down there a, a year or so before, but Frankie, they didn't want Frankie back down there for Frankie Lane. It's a, Jerry knows him very well, and the story's on Frankie, which nobody right. can keep Frankie around too long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he'd, he'd get in trouble no matter what. And so anyway, Dutch was going to take Dennis Condry, and they had promoted Dennis Condry and had his pictures in the programs and magazines, everything down there. And then Dennis up at the last minute said he wasn't going. And so Dutch was stuck, and Dutch asked me to go. And I said, I don't know, Dutch. I said, you know, I got this thing with Larry and we've been doing okay. And and he said, man, do you want to make some money? You want to stay up here with Nick? And I mean, that's about all he had to say. <laughs> because, <laughs> back, to, back then, everybody was paying 50 bucks a night, Jerry. And, and, uh, I know. Uh, and, and Nick and Nick, Nick, Nick was, you were lucky Nick if was you still paying 20. Yeah. I mean, Nick was, Nick was still playing like 20 or 30. And, you know, and you say, Nick, I can't live on this. I damn boy, it ain't what you make, it's what you save, which I learned a valuable lesson with that. And I've used it a lot since then. But uh, I went down to Puerto Rico uh, with Dutch and uh, stayed down there for about 10 months. It was a good run. It was a real good run down there. Who was your program against down there? Dutch. We worked against we worked against invaders, invaders Later. one and two, mostly, right. and then Carlos periodically back and forth, Victor Jubica and Carlos. Oh. They they, you know, it was a small territory, so they had to rotate guys in and out. Yeah. The only uh, thing well, I didn't like, the only thing I didn't like about it, Jerry, was when you had to, you worked your butt off to to draw a big house at a big show at the stadium at, at, at Clemente or in Bayamon or one of those big stadiums. Labrell, yeah. Yeah, and then they bring Abby in for that. They bring the funks in for that. They bring somebody. It's like, man, come on, Carlos, give us a little bit of that cheese. <laughs> yeah. But that's just how they did it, and that's how it worked. And <coughs> you learn to live with it. But uh, when I got down there, Crazy Luke Graham was there, Fuji, 
was there. They had been doing real good business together, all them. And, uh, <coughs> and uh, then the two Japanese boys came in, uh, Onita, which was Baba's boy, and, and that, that boy, Fuji. And so they were there with us and Dutch, and then the sheep herders came, and they rotated talent there about every eight or nine months. It, it was and a that, good territory, too. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, well, they drew. It drew good. Yeah. It drew Hard. good. I worked, we only worked four days one week, three days the next. So it was a, you know, it was a vacation and you got paid. I mean, you put your life on the line every night, but. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. Tell us about something. You know, I got to get on here. <clears throat> You know, tell them about some of the matches with, with Terry on the, the heat that Terry and Abdullah. I mean, when, when it didn't matter if you're baby face or heel. When you walked to that ring, you were you were literally putting your life life in. in, in it was a, every night, life. yeah, every every yeah. night, yeah. And and everywhere you were on the island, because yeah. the, the, everyone on the everyone that was there was over on that island. Everyone, <laughs> Carlos was a god there, right? And Victor Victor Jovico was a god. I mean, it's hard to say about Victor, but he was too. I mean, everyone there was like uh, it was. They were like Babe Ruth of, of baseball on that island. Uh, These guys were. Everybody was over there, and it was such. A, and it's a small place. Uh, I, it, it was. They would, would throw. They had. I know why they're good baseball players. Them kids got good arms on them, man. They can throw a rock and hit you from from a hundred yards away. <laughs> never seen like uh, they were good. They were good. They would throw uh, 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 size D batteries. They'd throw spark plugs. It was <laughs> okay. Here's a, southern, here's a southern boy. You, you were born in the South. You worked uh, your, most of your career in the South. And then uh, you end up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. What a culture shock. And war, I mean, what? You had to be a, uh, out of place there, Wayne. <laughs> Jerry, I left Pensacola <laughs> and I had cowboy boots, blue jeans, and my high school jacket that had some thick sleeves on it. That's the only winter clothes I had. I'd never been north of the Mason-Dixon line. You know, Louisville, Kentucky was Louisville, but yeah. Louisville sports. I didn't that was know north. I went to St. Louis once and did TV up there and uh, uh, did TV job up there in St. Louis. That's that's the first time I'd ever been to St. Louis. You know, I mean, like, I, I landed up there. I drove up there. I left Pensacola and I drove three days and I got up there and it was 35 below zero. <laughs> Stu Hart met me out on his porch at his house and didn't invite me in where it was warm, kept me out there for over an hour. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't feel my anything. My hands and face was frozen and he was putting holes on me. And uh, hey, it was something else. And you know, and then of course I never went to Texas for the Bon Airs because I was in when I went to to Japan out of Puerto Rico, Killer Brooks was on that tour. And I said, how's Dallas? Because I was looking for a place to go. And, and Brooks put his hand up like that. And I said, well, I, I can do the claw. He said, no, it's that much or less a week. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, oh, really? Okay. I don't, I've been for Nick. I, I knew what that was. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so anyway, so, uh, so, so plus, kill, you kill know. Because I, I I worked for Killer a lot. I worked with Killer a lot. So Killer Killer didn't like the payoffs under the old Von Erich regime, right? 
Oh, well, no, that's what he told me. Was that he said, and I thought he meant taking the claw. Well, I just said, well, I can take the claw. I was sitting like, he had me, I'm sitting on a bus, you know, and we're all drinking beer. And uh, and I'm looking for a place to go. And he told me about that. And I'm thinking, okay. But then he said it was that much or less a week. So that means 500 or less per week. So, uh, you know, and uh, with all the kids there and everything, no. And also five going, boys that you had to get around, too. Yeah, and then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, then all the kids, you got to all the kids. So I, ended up, so I go up to Calgary. It was worse because I just still had more kids. <laughs> more of them and a dozen of them up there and they was all working they all wanted to be bookers and they was all calling finishes and holy cow but it was yeah it was a culture shock is not the word for it uh the exchange on the money uh Stu never told me about that when he booked me up there so we had we had issues right from the get-go <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying calgary what what for the season <laughs> yeah and in the summers i mean you know that all the boys left and went over to the maritimes and worked over there all the way across the country and i wasn't going to drive away over there for you know another 500 a week or less and so <laughs> so I just stayed in Calgary and Stu, you know what Stu paid me? He gave me my guarantee. Every week I got that money. He gave me a raise because we started drawing right away. And that's the first place I carried this black hair and the jumpsuit and, and the whole thing. Once I, the Fullers let me do it there and get it started. And then uh, when I took it up to Calgary, uh, uh, the fans up there went crazy over it. And, uh, and and we started drawing, and Stu would pay you. If you which, were drawing, which, which, you. Boys, which boys were you working with at that time? Ross and all well, uh, Leo Burke was up Leo. there. He was he was one of their mainstays. Brett and Jim, Jim, Brett and Jim was there. Dynamite and Davey was there. Bad News was there. So there's some David awesome Schultz talent there. there then, right? Duke Duke Myers was there. I knew Duke from uh, Nashville. Kerry uh, Brown, Bob Brown's uh, uh, nephew. Uh, uh, Jerry Morrow. Uh, 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 Jamaican fella, uh, good talent. Wow, well, you, you had a really good talent up there. And then we had the English boys there. Some English guys were really good. Uh, uh, the Japanese boy Ito, which he was down with Saito in Tampa. Right, right. You guys yeah. early, early on, and uh, he was up there. And they were, you know, Calgary was a good place because you'd end up. You could go to Europe out there. You could go to Germany. You could go to England. You could go to. Uh, uh, to Japan, uh, if you wanted to, but I stayed, I just stayed there in the summer. Stu said, if you stay in the summer, I'll run some towns, but he'd run Calgary and Edmonton and maybe we'd work two, three days a week. And I still got my guarantee and it worked out. Okay. Uh, I ended up being up there when, uh, they had the big show in Calgary, July the 4th at the stampede and right, Hogan, stampede. Huck, Huck came into town and, uh, the big crew came in from, uh, WWE and, uh, that's when I saw Terry again. I hadn't seen him since uh, Memphis and Pensacola. And uh, he told me about coming over there with them guys and huh. said he'd have Vince call me. Huh. Next morning, Vince called me and I got hired. 
NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. There's never been a better time to refinance than right now. With real estate being so hot, your house could be worth more than ever. SaveWithConrad.com can help you use that new equity to pay off your credit cards or get rid of your PMI, saving you thousands. Interest rates are still at historic lows, but experts expect the rates to rise next year. Let SaveWithConrad.com get you the best rate you've ever had and save thousands. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, and you won't make another payment until next year. Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Wow. So tell us about that. So your hair was turning black at that time. You did left the the blonde, uh, had the the chops come out yet. So you, you yeah. had the jumpsuit. So you were you were trans yeah. you were transforming. And was that in your mind to transform like that? I I, I know you yeah. you picked up the the deal from the old honky talk uh, yeah. man song yeah. Uh, yeah. from years ago. Yeah, I I didn't have the Elvis thing in mind at all, Jerry. I was one. I was going to do. You know, with the wife beater shirt on and the pencil thin mustache, slimy hair, like this fella on this TV show was a maintenance guy, Snyder, on this show one day at a time. A very popular show one time right. back then. And but I needed a name for it, the name I picked up off of that song. But then going back on TV, the way I ended up with the black hair was I did a hair dye match. You know, typically in the wrestling business, a haircut match. You somebody's gonna lose their hair. It was me and Austin Idol, and uh, we did the interviews and stuff about there's only room here for one guy with blonde hair. It's, I'm going to get rid of you, Idol. I'm going to have you. You're going to have green hair and orange hair. Anyway, I went around the territory, and we did that every night for six nights, and I spray-painted the hair at the end and came back on TV with black hair. So some fans there in, in Birmingham saw the way I looked and asked me about doing the Elvis thing. I did. I said, no, you know, Bill Dundee does that. Somebody else is doing that. I don't care about it. And they ended up fixing, making me a jumpsuit and brought it to me about two weeks later. And Robert Fuller saw it and said, man, you know anything about a guitar? And I said, no, I don't know anything about it. Good. That's even better. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he, said, he said, man, I'll tell you what, I'll bring this guitar. I got one at home. I'll bring it over here. You hit Bob Armstrong, man. We'll be off and running. And that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. Gave Bob a whacking across the backwood TV and popped that place and stayed there for four or five months and then worked on it and took it to Calgary. So the fans made you the jumpsuit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, I've always said this, listen to what these fans want. If I told Stone Cold this, we're sitting over there in that restaurant in, in by the, uh, Philadelphia airport, the, the, uh, the Denny's restaurant down from where we'd all go out there. And he said, these fans are cheering for me, man. I, I want to be a heel. I, I don't I, I don't know what to do. They're cheering everything I do. I said, Steve, just keep doing what you're doing. Do this, do the same thing. Don't change it. If they want to cheer for you, just keep just keep doing it. Let them switch you. I said, if they switch you, they're gonna love you no matter what. So he kept doing the finger and the hell yeah and all the stuff, and it worked for him. You know, instead of him just trying to go out and low rate them or say bad things about them. Uh, uh, so the fans, they automatically, as soon as I put that jumpsuit on, those people hated my guts. And I I was a heel anyway. I'd never been a baby face. So it came easy for me. And I was always, you know, 
I was an introvert in school. I'd never say a word. I wouldn't raise my hand until I I was in college, had to take a public speaking class and had to stand up speaking. Then after teaching and coaching, I had to learn how to talk to folks. But then I just worked on this gift of gab and I found a little key words and phrases to say that would just make them mad. And I, I tell you what, it was tough, man. People want to kill me. They want to kill me before I even got to WWE. I mean, it was, they want to kill me in Mobile and Pensacola. I was fighting every night down there, but I, I mean, I knew how to do it because I've been in Puerto Rico, so I didn't mind that. <laughs> were you, you know, a young man in Pensacola when Hogan and Beefcake first came in? No, I wasn't. No, uh-uh. You were? No, I was down there as punk rock. I had I had hair spiked up and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bob Armstrong would call me skunk rock because I had a white streak in there like Sputnik. And <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Louis Tillette brought Hogan in there. That's who brought Hogan to Pensacola, Louis. Yeah, well, Louis I, I, I called, I called, uh, I called Louis and asked him to bring him in there. When, when the yeah. same thing I did for you because he, you know JV Johnny Valentine was was booking in and he didn't have a clue what we we're going to do with Hogan and uh, another guy just didn't want to see him beat, 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 beat. So I, I Louis had just left here. Yeah, Louis was down Florida. with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I called yeah. Louis. And I said, Louis, you know, a big kid we we had. You want it? Hell yes, I want him. <laughs> Yeah, he did. You know, they Ron and him got him over good. He drew he drew one hell of a house down there in uh, in Dothan, Alabama, with Harley Race. Hey, they was at the football stadium there and turned people away. Sixteen, eighteen thousand people they packed in there for that thing. Yeah, it was it was wow. a big deal. He got over. I knew the minute I saw him though, Jerry. The minute I yeah. saw this boy walk in, he he had he had this thing about him. Yeah. He had. I mean, he had money dripping off of him. <laughs> he, 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 it was like looking, it was like looking at that boy in the rock. This is the Dwayne Johnson. That kid, I mean, he had money dripping off of him at 12 years old. He just was that kind of kid. <laughs> so know, some Hogan, guys, some they just have it. Some guys have it. So when Hogan sees you up in Calgary at the big show, that was the first time he had seen you with the black hair and the new gimmick since Pensacola. Well, I still had the blonde hair down there. I just had it different colors, but uh, yeah, no, he had, he had not seen me with the black hair. He didn't. He had never seen that gimmick. So when when, when, he, saw you in Cal when he saw you in Calgary at the big show, that's when the first time he saw you with the black hair and the and the honky tonk gimmick. Yes, that's the first time he'd seen me. Then he was like, "Holy hell, man! What the heck happened to you?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "What are you doing up here?" I said, "I'm up here in cold storage, man." I said, I'm in a deep freeze. He said, you don't need to be here. You need to be with us. I said, man, I don't know if I'm ready to go over there. He said, shit, you're as ready as anybody else. He said, Vincent, he'll he love this thing you doing. I said, well, I don't know. I'll give it a try. I mean, he said, I'll have him call you in the morning. And he, he'd been when, it, when he called you, was it, was it much of a sell job? Of course, he probably already had Terry's word. Hey, we want this guy. And he gave making some money, but did, when you were telling him the gimmick, was he, was he, how would, how was his response? To, you know, he, he told me, he said, I don't know a lot about it. He said, I just know that the, he said, the Hulkster told me that you guys know each other from way back. And, and, uh, he, he thinks you can come in here and we can do something. And I said, well, I'd sure like to give it a shot. He's, uh, he said, okay, how about Wednesday? You, uh, we'll send you a plane ticket, bring me a tape. So he said, I don't care a lot about matches on the tape. I don't care about that. I want to see you talk. He said, I need some interview. 
And I happened to have one that I had done about two weeks before that. And I would take the, my, my wife would take the shows for me because I never got to see them on TV because TV would show in Calgary on Saturday and we'd be on the road going to Edmond. So I never got to see it. So I invested in a videotape machine to tape the matches so I could watch them back. And, uh, and I put together a tape of a short little clip of me beating this boy around with a guitar. And, uh, and I had about a three minute interview, Jerry, of just me talking of just me out there with the dressed in the gimmick, the whole works and me just selling myself and everything. And, uh, that's what Vince wanted. He, he needed, Vince needs people that can carry that interview time. It's that's what it's about. I mean, you know that Jerry, he, Model mind, that's what it's about. When, when you throw somebody out there for them two minute and 48 seconds that they have, you, you better have somebody can talk. And, 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 uh, that's, he saw that. And then I want to make you a baby face. I see this and Vince is a visionary. There's a, there's a few people around like him. Uh, you know, Bill Gates, visionary. He wanted to put a computer in everybody's house. Hell, he's put 10 computers in everybody's house. Uh, this Richard Branson, them kind of people, uh, uh, visionaries. They see things we don't see. And Vince sees things that, that other, you know, we question it at all time. What the heck is he thinking about? But he, he doesn't see stuff like we see. And I just said, Vince, I've never, I have not, this thing's made for heel. I said, I don't even know how to be a baby face. I'm, I, I can lead the baby faces around. That's all I've ever done. I know how to do that, but no, no, I see kids with jumpsuits, little guitar finger guitars. And ah, I said, I don't know if I can make it work. Yeah, we'll, we'll. it didn't work. <laughs> he, 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 he's thinking merchandise and they're thinking heat. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to draw, I'm trying to sell some tickets because I don't need a job. I knew yeah, I, how to, I knew what I needed to do to sell tickets, <laughs> and it was to go out there and talk bad to these folks and tell them how great I was and how what's a good singer and a dancer and all these things I was and and to make them mad. And, and the darndest thing was, Jerry, I didn't know it at the time. The TV, the first TV tapings he put me on, we did them out of out of Toronto, over there in that what was it, Brampton, Brantford, Ontario. Right. Over there where we did, the, we used to do tapes there. We did Poughkeepsie one week and then they'd go to Canada a week or two weeks later. Well, I had been on Vancouver TV, which was like Turner's television in Atlanta. It went all the way across the country. I'd been over there for almost six or eight months and they had seen this gimmick in Canada and they hated it. And he throws me out there on that TV and in, 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 uh, in, just outside of Toronto and it's 10,000 people booing the shit out of me. <laughs> they hated me. <laughs> and he said, I don't know what the deal is. I said, well, Vince, I've been on this TV up here for about a year. They all know me across this country. And he sends me back out on another tape and it happened again. And for three weeks, that's all they heard on TV was people booing me. <laughs> the tapes went back down in the States. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. About three more weeks later, the, 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 all the heels was complaining. Mike Sharp would hit me and they'd cheer for him. <laughs> <laughs> Morocco had to work with me he come back he said this guy's killing us man we can't get any heat everybody's cheering every time we hit him they cheer for us and you know the guys wanted you know they wanted to keep some heat and uh, it was when heat meant something <laughs> God bless him Jesse Ventura came up with the idea of the the, the 
vote of confidence for the honky tonk man. And we yeah, got it, it we got it switched right away. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and from <laughs> then on, from then on it was cakewalk. It was what I had designed it because I I had never thought this thing up to be a, a, a good guy at all. Never. I can do it now. It's easy to do now, and the fans love it. But before, no, I could. I had no idea how to do it. Yeah, and after a while, everybody becomes a babyface. You know, Larry Hagman, J.R. Ewing becomes a babyface after yeah. so long. Yeah. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's not that anything changes. It's like the fans just say, "You know what? That guy's entertained me for so many years. I'm going to cheer him now." <laughs> yeah, you go. You change. go by. You know, I'm. A, I'm on a. Lot, I'm on an eight year rotation with WWE. So about every eight years, they call me. <laughs> so first eight years and now i go back over there and just uh do this royal rumble or something or something i don't know what it was and uh and then maybe i was on about the 16th year that's when kane hit me over the head with a, kane kane racked me with a guitar and dumped me over with a jumpsuit on and so uh, but when i went through the curtain the people went crazy cheering i mean you're cheering like crazy uh the first time on the eight-year rotation i think john that was with you in that royal yeah rumble. yeah yeah. yeah, I wish I wish I'd missed that eight year rotation. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I know what you would die. I don't you know. What, I don't know. I mean, Jerry might have more insight on this. I mean, that Royal Rumble, I don't know if it was designed for punishment for somebody or what, but I, I don't know if you had done something wrong or or or, or what. But for for the, if you stay out there more than twenty minutes, you've done something. They, yeah, they, there's a they, little, little payback involved there, Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hawkins, you know what's the worst? You know what's the worst? He's hey, we're going to leave you out there for about 30 minutes, and then we'll get down to the final five. Okay, everybody leave. We'll go to the finish of the final five. And you're like sixth. You're like, oh, come on. I'm filler. Yeah. So, Jerry, you would like this story. So we're sitting back there, and – uh John's been out there now. I walk over and sit down where Barry's at. This thing got started. And John's been out there about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. He's gassed pretty good. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't really ready for this at all. Because no. him and Barry was together back then. And I don't know, maybe they was going to test you, John, to see if you were ready for that push they were going to give you. But uh, uh, Barry was sitting there. I sat down beside him. He said, when are you on? I said, oh, I think I'm about 18 or 19. He said, look at Bradshaw out there. He said, man, he's he's really puffing. He said, when you get out there, lean on him. <laughs> he said, lean on him good. I said, really? I said, man, I don't know if I need to do that. Boy's in bad shape. He said, no, nah, I'll do it. So I went through the curtain. I went straight to Bradshaw. He was laying down on the bottom rope, kind of turned up sideways with his head near the second rope. And I put both hands right in his guts and I just pressed all my weight on him. I said, Barry said, lean on you. And all he could do was cuss a few little cuss words about what he was going to do to me if he ever got out of there. <laughs> I only laid on him for about a minute or a minute and a half because the next person could come out, dump me out. I was gone. I, I, was, I was in and out. They, they disposed of me real fast. I came back and Barry, Barry was just, he was tickled to death. He said, what'd he do? What'd he do? I said, he's going to be, he's going to beat the shit out of me. He's what's going to happen now. <laughs> <laughs> but John, John, John stayed in there and he stayed that long. You're either going to win it or they, they don't want you to have a heart attack. So, but anyway, 
he came back through the curtain. He didn't say anything. He comes straight to me and Barry and started cussing us. So, but anyway, that's how we that's how we got to know each other. That's we had our, we, we had a, a very personal meeting out there in that yeah. meeting that night. <laughs> Augie, Augie said at one point he goes fight back. I said I can't. Play. <laughs> so the, on the next rotation, uh, I you know I'd been away for another eight years. And uh, uh, Jim called me, Jim Ross called and said, uh, I was down, I, I had, I was going to be down there in, in Louisiana anyway, in New Orleans for a monster truck show. And uh, he, Jim Ross called and said, you want to be in the Royal Rumble? I said, well, where is it? I did, you know, when you're not working there, you don't really keep up with it too much. I said, well, where is it? I, I said, cause I'm, I'm in uh, New Orleans for a, for a monster truck thing. He said, well, it was right there in New Orleans. I said, oh, when are you there? I said, well, I'm there Friday night. He said, well, we can stay over and we'll do that thing on Sunday. Okay. So anyway, my wife said, well, what, what do you think you're going to do? I said, well, they, it'll either be short and I'll get out of there and it'll be okay. Or are they going to keep me in there for about an hour and try to make me have a heart attack? You know, if you hadn't been doing stuff in a long time and working right. independence, you're not in you're not in WWE shape now. I'm going right. to tell you. Because, right. I mean, that's one thing about it. When you're working in WWE, you're going to have to – you know, you got to move around a little bit. You can't be out there walking around doing nothing. So uh, I said, they said they're either going to get rid of me early and I'll, I'll be happy and come home with a sack full of money or or <laughs> I'll go home in the casket. <laughs> but anyway, they, they did the deal where Kane wrecked me with a guitar and I took that little bump. It was, it was fine. And the people enjoyed it and it was fun. And, you know, uh, Kane hit me with a guitar and it didn't send me to rehab or anything. So. <laughs> you know where I'm going, John. You know where I'm going with that, but we'll leave it right there. <laughs> I know exactly where you're going. With I, that. I I don't I don't. So let's take it a little bit further. <laughs> no, no, that's don't worry about it. Okay. All well, right, there's okay. been there's there's been there's been reports that I send people to rehab and. When I hit him with a guitar and uh, I hit a lot of folks and nobody, there's only one person went to mul multiple rehabs. So yeah, we'll uh, multiple rehabs. Multiple yeah, rehabs. I, I, I know where you're at. I, it, I'm old and it takes me a little while to catch on, but I can't. Help. <laughs> so let, let's digress then. Let, let's go back. You you had some classic masters with some all-time greats and you're included in all those all-time greats or they wouldn't be there like that. With the Macho Man and, and Ricky the Dragon Sebo, uh, you you're lower you're you run with 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 uh, with Macho Man. Did 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 he come to you with a uh, 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 file full of papers and and with this is how we're going to do it? Because you because you because you're one of those guys like we uh, John and I are. You just you call it out there, man. I I you know I didn't know anything about. The, I had been. You know, I before I went to Randy, I was with the the fella that was doing the multiple rehabs. So, <laughs> of course, going into rehab multiple times. So, uh, you had had a lot of fillers in there. Well, yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of people like uh, 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 the Crusher. They bring in and uh, 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 you name them. Uh, they did eventually just drag them out of there, but. Uh, uh, wherever that we needed a substitute, you know how that was. Uh, right. that you guys do if you, if somebody can't make it, they give you a substitute, and then you lose. I got beat every night in every town, every <laughs> night in every town for for all the twelve weeks that uh, my 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 guy was going into rehab. But anyway, <laughs> I finally finished up with him, and uh, I got this thing with Macho, and I just fell into that Jerry and and, and John. 
and it, people don't, sometimes they don't want to understand it or believe how it happened, but some things just happened in this business. And I just happened to walk down the hallway and Hulk and, and Vince was talking and, uh, uh, Hulk just, he, I just, I was coming from an interview or something over there. Uh, uh, we were in uh, Buffalo at that war memorial and just walking out a little hallway and Hulk said, what about this guy? And Vince, you know, did his little, well, maybe so. He said, I'll let you guys talk. And he walked away. And then Vince told me about, uh, Ricky wanting to, to, uh, go away and take some time off and, and, and Butch wasn't there. And, you know, it was getting to be the 11th hour and they need to put the show together. And he said, uh, you know, I need to put the belt on somebody. And he said, I need somebody to run with this thing. It's got to be in the town. It can't be sitting in somebody's house. I said, well, Vince, if you give me that belt, I'll run with it. I said, that's my deal with you. If I, if I, if I work, you pay me. If I don't draw, you ain't got to fire me. I'll go home. And, uh, that was our deal. And, we went out that night and I got the belt from Ricky and then Ricky did come back and work some return matches with me. And they were really good. I enjoyed working with Ricky. Uh, it was, you know, the kind of stuff we didn't have to call a lot. He, he, he had a, Ricky had a good ear. Ricky was like Brad Armstrong and like Ricky Martin. He was like, like uh, Barry Wyndham had that good ear. You could call something, you could whisper it all the way across the ring and they could hear it. And uh, he was very, very good to work with. So I had a few matches with him and, and some return stuff. And then uh, well, I went to the Macho Man. But I had never heard about the paperwork and all that. I, I didn't I didn't know that because Ricky didn't they Rick really didn't let all that cat out of the bag till later on. You know, here if you but Randy did have to have everything laid out. Everything every night. I didn't see paperwork, but we had to go over it. Every night. I mean, if we had two shows, Sacramento on a Saturday afternoon in San Francisco that night, he was saying all the things. The only thing different was the length of the, the walk ramp to the ring from the backstage. <laughs> Nothing changed. You know, I mean, but anyway, I got to the point where I'd hide from him. <laughs> and uh, he'd come looking. I'd see him. I'd go in the bleachers and peek between the bleachers and watch him. And I'd see him, he's walking, and he's all wise. He's, he'd go to Jimmy Hart, where's that honky-tonk man? And, well, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the music would, all of a sudden, I would reappear right at the curtain, and he didn't have time to talk about it. <laughs> so we'd just go out there and do them. But I found out that if it was much better, and we, we worked a lot better if I let him come and tell me, unless – Let's put it together. And because I knew if something needed to change, I could change it anyway. It was no big deal. But he liked to have it structured. And I understand later on that Randy would get so deathly nauseated before these Saturday night main events and the WrestleManias that he would just have to lay down and he'd be sick and throwing up. And it was like, man, they, they call Randy the greatest worker ever. It's like, man, come on here. You know, I mean, Harley Race ain't going to be over there puking because he's got a big match tonight. You know, Andre, Andre's not going to. He's going to have some wine. He's going to be relaxed. But anyway, Randy and I, the gears clicked because I had worked in Puerto Rico, and Randy was partly trained by Tom Ernesto, and so was Dutch. And I had worked a lot with Dutch, so I understood their style. They, they worked fast. They worked a lot of spots. They did up and down. A lot, not a lot of selling. 
not big comebacks. Randy, I always used to watch Randy when he was healed. He'd get the heat, bing, 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 and get a baby face, get a comeback. He'd tie himself in the ropes. Man, just kill a comeback. But <laughs> anyway, that's so I understood Randy, I understood how he worked, and I could work with him. And I made it work. And we never had any problems. It was strictly business, Jerry. It's hard to believe that you have a run with Randy, and I made a lot of money with Randy. I enjoyed it. Uh, you never knew what you were going to get. If he was going to be the macho man, was he going to get upset because somebody whistled at Liz? Or He let little things bother him. The little things bothered him. And and But he was meticulous and professional. I never had a drink with him. I never had a restaurant, sat down with him, never hotel, nothing. It was strictly locker room business, and it worked out very well. It worked out great, yeah. Was, yeah, he the and same then, way, was he the same way with promos that he was nervous like matches? Because he, he was a great promo guy as, as well as a great wrestler. He he was not he was not so hyper on his before his promos. He was okay. He could sit there and be still and everything. Uh but Randy, I don't care. I saw it when I went to WCW, Randy was there. We meet in that little hallway down there, that little studio, and 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 he I said. Hey, macho man, he went, ooh, I'm get your old man. And he, he just shook my hand, but he was waiting to see if my other hand was going to the knife in the back. It's like, yeah, man, <laughs> we sweated the same sweat and the same blood, brother. I, I, I just want to be your friend. I, you know, I'm just here. But he was he was really wound up tight. Well, I, I sometimes, sometimes I'd wonder how he would have been if I had a room next door that I could have listened to his real voice. I mean, was he always, ooh, he. <laughs> we always Hulk, wondered that Hulk. about Backlund, too. You know, is Backlund yeah. really wound this type all the time? Or is he getting to a all the time. Himself and just become all a calm, normal human? Backlund never, was always like that. I, I never saw him other than being Macho Man. That's, yeah. I mean, that was it. And, well, uh, Honky, you you saw you remember how we used to do promos at that time. We used to rent a hotel room at at, at a hotel and and uh, and do uh, have a whole day there just to run. You know, everything was inserted in, in the tape back then. You know, okay, you're in, you're in uh, Joplin, Missouri. Yep. You're in uh, you're in Fairbanks, Alaska. You're in L.A. You're in New York City, and you go in that day and you do promos. I remember Randy could not do a promo. I'd have to order those big hotel, you know, one or two or three gallon coffee thermal things. And Randy would stand by that coffee machine and just down coffee like like you and I down a beer <laughs> until he was hyped up enough to go out there and cut a promo. And it would take him probably 10, 15 takes to do one one minute promo. I, I watched him. I had seen him. I knew Randy before. I hadn't hadn't worked with him, but I knew of them because I had worked in some Kentucky towns with Nick, who was they used some of that talent. Uh, Nick had some independent promoters that ran some towns up in Kentucky, and and that's the first time I met uh, uh, one man game. One man game was eighteen year old kid, long hair and, and everything up there. He was going as a uh, Crusher Broomfield, and then he became the one man gang later on. But Randy and and Lanny and and I had worked with Lanny once up there on the independent show, but Randy was high strung even back then. He was not personable. He he just was he didn't have that personality. And uh 
but he didn't, he would not hurt you in the ring. You didn't have to worry about that. No. I trusted Randy and no matter what, except that, that, that gum elbow. Now that thing off the top rope, that thing hurt. That hurt. <laughs> I mean, he not, he not, listen, when you knock Mike Sharp out and Mike Sharp asked me, he said, how is it? I said, well, you're going to feel it. And he knocked Mike out on TV tape. And so if you knock Mike Sharp out just by coming off with an elbow, what would happen is your head would fly up and fly back down. And Randy would put his whole body on you. Randy didn't want to land with his body, with his shoulder on the mat, so he would make sure his shoulder and his body hit your hit your chest. So, yeah, it was like the snooker splash, you know. That snooker splash, he hit me one time. It was like somebody stomped a tomato because he had he, we, we did a leapfrog spot, and he come by and gave me the chop, and he chopped me right across the nose. So he busted my nose, had blood out of both nostrils, picks me up, slams me, then splashed me. The blood hit people on the front row, and, Earl Hebner said, Dad, you only look like somebody stomped a tomato. <laughs> <laughs> tomato. People don't realize heels are the ones that have to take all those finishes. You know, people talk about Snooker's big fall. Morocco's the one they landed on. You know, I understand. I was at the bottom of Eddie Guerrero off the top of the cage. We were like, oh, that was fantastic. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. we're, the, we're the ones they land on. Yeah. Yeah, lay there when they say don't move. And it's like. <laughs> right. Right, man. Should I? What should I do here? But anyway, yeah. But yeah, the, uh, you know, Jerry. But uh, that was Randy. Uh, Randy was. Uh, uh, we did great things together, and uh, and uh, uh, you know, he went on to do great things. And from what I understand, they always had plans for Randy uh, from day one. Vince had plans for him. Well, we uh, we think back and think, well, Ted Ted DiBiase was going to get the get the title shot and do all that. But uh, from what I understand now. Uh, Randy was figured in on that all the way through. And uh, that's Vince's direction he wanted to go. He went with it, and uh, it worked out. It worked out for the company, worked out for Randy, too, and Liz. Bluetooth is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. With Blue Chew, men everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived, your package has arrived. They'll always say first impressions are important. What about lasting impressions? It's time to get off the couch, back to work. If your tool needs an upgrade, head to bluechew.com. Guys, there's nothing sexier than confidence and Blue Chew can give you the confidence where it counts. When did the Intercontinental Championship become such a big deal? Now, I don't, I'm not talking about the title itself. I'm talking about your run. When did it, when did, because everybody, you know, when you have a run with a title, you know, eventually that, that run itself can become a big deal. Your run became one of the biggest deals of all time and ended up making a star that went on to headline WrestleMania because yeah. of the run you had. When did it start becoming a big deal? Well, I knew if I had the opportunity, John, I knew I could get over because I had gotten over in Pensacola with this thing. I'd gotten over in Canada and across Canada with it. 
I knew what I said earlier about these little keywords and phrases, these little actions, and how to stand and how to look at the camera and how to how to strum that guitar and, and, and just I I knew how to do it. And I knew working my southern style of nobody in WWE early early on and Jerry will tell you this and you might remember by watching it, the guys wouldn't drop down and beg. I mean no one would get some heat, take a bump and then you know drop down and say, please don't hit me. To a baby face, they, they, everybody wanted to stand up and fight. Heck, I'd drop down and beg, man. I'd beg off, and the more I'd beg, the more they want to kill me. And uh, so as I started picking that steam up with the belt, because no one expected me to win, and, and that was, a you know, that right there made that championship. That made that intercontinental belt that night because it had been on a Ricky Steamboat. It had been on... Randy had the belt almost as long as I did. He was only like three or four days shorter than what I had it. And Tito Santana and, and Pedro Morales, Greg uh, Valentine, uh, Don Morocco, uh, Pat Patterson. This The belt had been on some really, like, you know, good guys in the ring. And here I was, a song and dance man. I'm out there looking like <laughs> Elvis and, 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 and all this nonsense. And, and it just made it made losing the belt means something to those people. They didn't care if Jerry Briscoe came out there and beat me. They didn't care if the guy on the front row could beat me. They just wanted me to be beat and not have that belt anymore. And I, I made it that way because I would brag about it because I was losing every night. Like I said, when when my my, my opponent was uh, gone and uh, gone away uh, in rehab, multiple rehabs, I was losing. And, and Jerry, you guys know this. If you're, if you're beating somebody every night, it's hard, man. It's hard to keep that heat, especially if you're a heel. Yeah. You, you can't beat a heel every night and just expect him to come back and draw. But the thing was, Vince kept me good on TV. And that was my deal. That's I'll, do anything, right there. I'll do anything you want, Vince. Just keep me good on TV. And he, he's promised me that. And, uh, Every time I'd go back on TV, all right, here I am, Mean Gene. I'm the greatest of all time. I still got the belt. No one can beat me. I'm walking the streets. I can't even find a fight. And every eight-year-old said, boy, if he walked down here, I'll, I'll beat him. I and I made it to the point where it didn't matter who I was put against. We could sell the place out because they didn't care. They wanted me to lose. And when I did lose it and the way I lost it, it didn't hurt me at all. That's the one time you do a job in the clean in the middle of the ring and it doesn't hurt your heat at all because I came right back and said I got screwed out of it and, and me and the warrior weren't for another three months and sold out everywhere with me trying to get the belt back because people were afraid I was going to get it again. <laughs> right. And it, you know what? It made him a star. Uh, it changed. It's, Vince wanted this. Vince told me he wanted to do this months ahead of time. And, uh, I said, are you, are you crazy, man? <laughs> <laughs> he said, no. He said, I see something in him. I know you guys don't, but I do. And he said, I'm going with him. He said, Hogan's wanting to go to Hollywood, and I need somebody. And he said, I'm going with him. I said, well, I'll tell you what, man. I don't know what you're thinking, but anyway, I'll do whatever you want. So anyway, then he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to need to do this. And he said, I'm going to need some return matches. And I said, oh, God, please. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he, said, he said, Wayne, just work with the guy on the front row. I don't care. Just get him over. 
And so I went out there and we worked return matches and uh, I ended up getting him to where he could go about, about eight, about eight, 10 minutes with some good stuff that he could do. And then Rick Rude took him. I think Dino Bravo took him maybe after that. Then Rick Rude took him. And then uh, Rick Rude taught him how to work. Cause Rick was a, Rick was a good technician. Rick was a good worker in the ring. Did you guys see it in, in Warrior? What did you guys think about Warrior before that? Did, I know you obviously this big muscle guy, that, but he, he looked like he was getting over. Did, what did you guys think? Well, you, John, you know how it is sitting around there. You 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 get lost in your own stuff there because uh, uh, you you you've watched somebody else's match, but they were they was not pushing him. He was in matches with Hercules out there, and and God bless him. Herc was a great worker and easy to work with in the ring. But you know, Herc was a, a big old boy too, and and you know, they all had their vitamins and everything, and 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 they were equal in strength, and and they would go out and just just beat the. I mean, they just beat each other up. And me being, you know, like I don't know the guy, and I really hadn't watched a lot of it. I go to Herc and I said, Herc, how is this guy? And he says, Well, you dread getting up in the morning. <laughs> And I said, what, what do you mean, Dred, getting up in the morning? He said, because you know what you got to face that night. <laughs> I oh. said, I'm going to dread getting up because I know what I have to face at night. He says, yeah, that's all I needed to know. And I went, oh, okay. And then I found out I started dreading getting up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I mean, it was rough now. It was rough. I'll tell you what, I'd been in with a lot of guys. I'd wrestle Luthes and he worked me over real good when I was just a kid. And, you know, he taught me a lot and he taught me how to defend myself. And, 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 and Al Costello beat me up pretty bad and, and uh, worked me over for about three or four weeks as a young guy. And, and then Billy Robinson worked me over. And of course your guy in, in Korea, he worked me over pretty good. And, <laughs> you know, and some of them Japanese boys, when I was over there six weeks, I didn't get to work with Jack. Jerry, Jack was on that tour with me six weeks over there. I mean, some of the Japanese boys is easier than Killer Brooks, but, but on that champion, on that champion karma, you had to work, you had to work with everybody. So, you know, he's working with a good Japanese boys. You work with Jumbo one night and the next night you might have, have Momota or somebody. And, and it was, would be like pulling teeth. You'd have Haku and he'd work over pretty good too. Cause he was just a young boy. But anyway, uh, this warrior now, it's a different game. <laughs> that was a whole different ball game. This boy was rough. He didn't know anything. That was that was that was the bottom line. He just he didn't didn't know anything. And I, I always, you know, at that time, Wayne, I was if you remember, I was doing the local promotion down here. Yeah. And yeah. and he had he had more heat backstage with the guys yeah. than he did, you know, as as any as anything. Even the fans, they they hated it because they felt like he shortchanged them when he went out to the ring. But the guy was giving it a hundred percent of what he had, and the people could feed off of that. Yeah. And I think that's the energy that that what pulled him through. It definitely wasn't the skill set that he had, but it was the energy that yeah. he portrayed when he went to the ring. Yeah, I wasn't going to go out there and fight with him. I, I mean, that's ain't my cup of tea. I told you, I'm a song and dance man. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what? I'm going to drop down and beg. And so, <laughs> but, Our but uh, a lot of guys just didn't, they didn't understand him. They didn't understand that, that, you know, you, I think somebody like Harley, Harley Race could, Harley Race could take a, a paper cup and go out and have a match. Somebody like Harley could have had this guy for, for two months and and made him into 
something. But who knows? When you make him into something, the people might have might not have liked him at all. I think they might. I think the people like this 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 uh, unpredictability that he had and this energy. And yeah. I, I, the best part about it was this: he would run so fast that he'd go through the curtain. You know how Monsoon would go. Go, go, and just scream so loud at TV. Oh. This warrior, he tore the curtain down and all kind of stuff was hanging <laughs> up in it. It was, it was a mess. But anyway, he would run to the ring as hard and fast as he could. And he'd slide in there and he'd run across some rope, bing, 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 bing. And then he'd be purple. <laughs> he'd just be hurting. And he was lay there and I have a chin lock on him. I'd be letting pressing in his guts like I did old John Bradshaw. <laughs> and uh, he was so, and he would start begging me. He said, please, please help, help me, help me. Hey, I just get up and give him a couple of kicks, dance a little bit and come back and lay on him again. It was, I, I mean, if he was, he, he, he blew himself up before he got in the ring. So that made it easy. You know, when a guy gets blown up, he's pretty easy. You can yeah. ask Bradshaw about that. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <for sure. laughs> anyway he's easy when he's not blown up right? anyway it's like uh, 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 what was the name uh, uh uh the coach from green bay parkers the old guy uh, vince lombardi he vince. said fatigue uh, vince lombardi he said fatigue makes cowards of everybody and it does fatigue will make you a coward and, and you're pretty easy to to handle when you're worn out and uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't you get the ideas jerry <laughs> I still owe Honky Tonk for what he did to me. And but anyway, I owe anyway, Barry Lindham for suggesting it. Yeah. I got him. Uh, I finally got him to do a few things, and and it, it, he would hit me so hard in the side of the head with his fist, and that that forearm of his, that thing was purple with veins sticking out of it, and it's like a rock. I mean, his whole body was two hundred and eighty pounds of nothing, but I mean, solid. And just cold sweat coming off of him, cold sweat. Have the vitamins was working, I guess. I don't know, but anyway, <laughs> whatever it was. And uh, but anyway, he would hit me so hard in the head, and I finally told him, I said, Jim, you just can't hit me like that. I said, I'll do anything you want out there. I'll try my get do the best I can. But my head has was starting to swell like a softball and hadn't gotten mushy. And I said, if you ever pick, if you ever hit me like that again, I'm gonna go down and not getting up. So we were in Denver, about 20,000 aware. Bing, bing, bing. I had him set up. Now, I was the one who got him shaking the ropes. I got him doing the Strongbow stuff. That was I got that up from Strongbow when I worked with Strongbow in Puerto Rico. Strongbow was down in Puerto Rico, and they sent him down after he was rehabbing his knee. He had the scope on his knee, and they were going to bring him back to New York. So he was down there, so I had to work with him. And he he would shake his leg, shake his one leg, second leg, shake an arm, shake this, shake the rope, shake the rope, and bing, 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 start his comeback. I gave that to Warrior because it was easy for him to do. It was easy. But then he would shake him so hard he'd blow himself up. I said, you got to learn to work with the rope. Let the rope, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I got him to do that, and he then we had this thing going, bing, 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 and he, the crowd was into, he hits me in the side of the head. I went down. Jerry? With all his might, he pulled my hair to try to pick me up. And he was pulling my hair. It was like plucking a chicken. And just <laughs> dropping my hair, but I would not get up. I, I clenched to the mat. And he just felt the people just die. 
And I got back to the locker room. I said, Jim, I told you don't ever hit me like that again. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I don't know what he said. I'll never hit you like that again. I said, well, how'd you feel out there? He said, I felt like I was naked in front of all these people. He said, they, they shit on me. I said, yeah, they did. I said, you got to remember it takes everybody in that ring to work this match. And I said, if you hurt me, you're out there by yourself. And so he never hit me like that again, ever, never, ever. Now he did pick me up by my Niagara's and by my throat, like I was a dumbbell. <laughs> and he would do that. And I finally got him to know, you know, I, I said, Jim, you can squeeze my throat, but you got, you don't be squeezing me down between my legs. Okay. So, <laughs> this He was strong now, I'll tell you. But anyway, he was doing that. I was telling Jimmy Hart every night, oh, God, he's killing me, Jimmy. He's killing me. Oh, baby, oh, baby. It's, okay. it's lovely, baby. It's lovely. <laughs> okay. So I go to Jim. I said, listen, Jim, just put your hands on me. I'll climb up your body. Don't worry. I did it once, twice in the locker room. I said, just do it. A couple of times we had it worked out. And I said, okay, Jim, tonight, here's what we want to do. I had the longest runway that we had in one of the buildings, like San Francisco or somewhere out there. Had a long, like, Oakland, California, long walk. I picked the building. I said, tonight, let's work this spot where I want Jimmy Hart to come in there and I want you to pick him up, okay? And I want you to tote him, pick him up and tote him all the way back to the curtain. And I set it up. And I said, Jimmy, here's what we want to do. Okay, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. So we work to finish. Boom. Jimmy jumps in, hits him with a megaphone. Jimmy begs off. I said, Jimmy, you you start cowering away. Go all the way back to the curtain. I said, Jim, you just stalk him now and take your time. I said, when you get him at the curtain, don't. I said, pull him back, pull him from the curtain. Take him all the way to the curtain now. And I said, then pick him up. And I said, now you got to remember, Jimmy's not a wrestler. You're going to have to grab him by the throat and you have to grab him like this. I said, I want you to bring him all the way back and walk real slow. Yes, said, Jim, you got to let everybody, <laughs> everybody has to see it and go real slow. And he had Jimmy up there and he had him by his Niagara's. He had him by the throat. So he's got you by the throat. You can't squeal. And you need to squeal because he's squeezing something else. <laughs> and, he, and he throws Jimmy in the ring. And I come at him and I swing, bing, bing, bing. He does the finish on me, one, two, three. Jimmy's laying over in the corner and I roll over. I said, well, how was it? He said, oh, Jesus Christ, he almost killed me. Oh, 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 oh. I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how you did this every night. I said, it's lovely, baby. Everything's great. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. It was one of the greatest putovers for a title change. In history, in wrestling history, it made uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Did you know right away? I mean, you know, sometimes when you're out there and you feel it, I mean, it just you, you know you hit a home run. Did you know right away that you'd you'd hit it? John, I knew Vince, this is the one time Vince let me he, when he told me about doing it, doing the thing six months ahead of time. I said, I need to do it my way. I said it needs to be fast. Because I know if you're going to beat a heel, a good way to beat a heel, and especially when it's a good hot deal, is beat the heel fast. Beat him quick. One, two, three, and all of a sudden it's a shock effect. And I said, it needs to be fast. He said, however you want to do it. And we went along there, and, and as we had those four or five or six months of, of, of 
matches together leading up to this thing. Uh, well, not quite that long. We had about, a, I guess we had about a month of working, you know, work the bugs out before you get there. Because I was still working with Randy, I think, at the time. And, and so I go to him and I said, Jim, here's how I want to do it. And I told him, and I said, let's do it this way. And I said, I think it'll work. And nobody, nobody else knew. No one knew. I told Vince. I, he said, how are you going to do it? So I know what the time is. I said, I'm going to go out. Let me go out and do this interview. And I'm going to just, you know, lay, talk some stuff here and say that I'll take anybody to wrestle. And then when I say this, hit his music. And uh, he's going to run in and we, we'll do it. He said, okay. But I had set the stage. I knew if we did it fast and I, I knew he could do this. He could hit the ropes, do that flying tackle, elbow, shoulder butt of his. It was really good because he could get way up in the air with that thing. And if you watch it back, he was planed out all the way up. He was as high as my head. Hits me with a shoulder block and down I went. He hits the ropes, comes and gives me that splash. One, two, three. But I set the stage by the interview when I went out there saying that I'm here to wrestle. I don't care who it is. I I came here today. I want to wrestle anybody. I don't, you get me somebody out here to wrestle. And Monsoon and, and Superstar Ground put it over really well in commentary. Oh, man, you shouldn't be saying that. And all of a sudden, his music hit. The people were in shock that it was his music because they were probably expecting, you know, a Bret Hart or somebody like that. And he hit the ring and didn't slow down. Bing, 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 bing. One, two, three. It was over in like 13 seconds. And that was it. And he was a star. It made him. Wow. It helped the company. It did what they wanted. It it made him a overnight sensations what they needed. And didn't hurt me because I came back. Still had heat. Didn't, didn't bother me. You know, it's amazing as a heel. You know, you, you can get beat all you want. It, it's just, it's how you get beat. You know, you, 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 you can win, but it's how you win. You know, when you lose, you say you brag about how you won and you brag about holding the title for so long. And they, you, the fans are going, wait a minute, he didn't beat anybody. And that's the heat in it. You know, there, there's not everybody can be a chicken shit heel, but the ones that can, it's the greatest heel in the world. The, the, the thing that gets me now is you look back at it and the people were so happy that I lost. And then they had buyer's remorse. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. We wanted him to lose, but not to this guy. <laughs> I mean, they liked the award, but they didn't. They, I mean, they wasn't in love with him. But he he ended up then having to uh, to go on, and, and 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 the fans were behind him all the way because he had a big victory. He had a victory no one else could get. But but yeah, they had a buyer's remorse on him because it was like we wanted every anybody to beat him, but not the warrior. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's what we do to these fans. That's what that's what this business is about it's about manipulating their emotions we have to control their emotions we can't let them control us and 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 it's important it's hard it's one of the hardest things i don't think you can really teach it to someone in wrestling school or anything is is how to control someone's emotions for that five or ten or fifteen minutes or like a, a harley or jack briscoe for, for hours every night and, and the funks to control someone's emotions for an hour you know, I could do it. I can do it easily for ten or fifteen minutes, but an hour—I don't know if I could do that. That's a real testament to someone. And controlling emotions is what sells tickets. That's what gets people. I mean, the, the televangelists on TV on Sundays have been doing it forever. I mean, they control your emotions, and they get you to do things. 
Heck, I just mentioned earlier about the my pillow guy. He controls your money. He got people buying them pillows and shoes and everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wayne, now the thing about it, you know, it takes a special special mindset to be a heel. And, and both both of these guys that uh, I'm talking to now, John and, and Wayne here, honky tonk man. You guys wanted to be heels. That that was your desire to be a heel. A lot of a lot of guys are playing heel, you know, and even when they're great heels, they're still playing heels. But to have that mindset, like like you guys said, you can get beat every night of the week and lie about it the next week. And it's how you get beat, but you come back, you lie. Well, if it hadn't been for this, and you people know it, tell them the truth, you know, they, the baby face generally cheats, you know, and, and the heel. But uh, you guys, you guys were masters of being heels, and you got to want to be a heel. I studied the heels. I studied good heels. I studied the, the Don Fargo's, the ringmasters. Mm -hmm. Don was a Don Fargo could go out in the first match wow. just as a punishment. Sometimes Jerry uh, Jerry Lawler would put Fargo on a first match just for and, and Fargo would start a riot. He'd say, uh, "You do a fifteen minute Broadway with this this kid over here." And Fargo would have people coming in the ring, knocking people, huh. hitting right and left, have a fight, have a riot in the first match. He was that kind of a ring general in the way he carried himself, the way he did stuff. Uh, and I, and I watched him and I watched, I watched a lot of Sputnik Monroe and I learned a lot about, yeah. I learned a lot about interviews from Sputnik and I learned about high spots and taking bumps and, and things that Sputnik would do and how he would work. Sputnik was a fantastic heel. And, 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 uh, he, he trained this young black kid, uh, Norvell Austin, which became oh, yeah. another great heel. Yeah. Uh, and I would watch those kind of people. And, and when, Sometimes they'd have Lou Thez. Lou wasn't a heel very often. When Lou was a heel, Lou was a good heel. And I would watch the Funks. The Funks were good heels. They they were just ring generals. Harley was fantastic at it. Harley Race was a great heel. I mean, he was just so believable in what he did and how he did it. But And I equate to this this boy, Steve Regal, who, who the English fella, doesn't work yeah. anymore. But I tell you what, he, wow. he, this, yeah. he was a good heel. He yeah. was a ring general. Everything he did meant something in the ring. He didn't waste motions. And that's what's important. People say, well, he didn't take any bumps. He didn't do this. Listen, if you got to take bumps, you're not, people aren't watching you. You get, people have to really have to watch you. I understand now it's a different product. It's a TV product. It's a video game product. The, the whole business is different. But the, to really learn it and understand it, I think you have to go and train that way in that slow, methodical, Facial expressions, body expressions mean everything. Tom Andrews and 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 uh, Jim Starr, I was working under a mask, and those two guys were two of the best mask guys in the world. They they were the interns with uh, Ken Ramey, Doctor Ken Ramey. Doctor Ken Ramey, Doctor Ken. Yeah. I believed in those guys, and and I was working under a mask, and I didn't know how to body language and stuff. And Tom Andrews and Jim Starr told me they said, "Listen, if you're gonna work under a mask, they can't see your face, they can't see your hair flying around." Use your body now. Learn to use your body. And the body motions is what means a lot. It means as much as anything. Is when you take that one bump or you get kicked or you get punched and you sell that thing and you spin around and drop to a knee and pop back up and take another one. 
And like you say, even like Tom Ernesto and Jody Hamilton, a two, two mask guy, yeah. man, that had more heat than any, any guys that, yeah. that, that walked, you know, because yeah. just because their body language is just the way they carried themselves and into the ring. You knew they were badasses when they got to the ring. When, when you watch, a, when you watch some of these guys that's been under the mask, when they come out from under the mask, they're even, they're even better because now they got the face now they got the hair and all these things that can help you you know just having the long hair flying around and the facial expressions means a lot but that body language is what really does it hollywood learned how to do it because uh you know if you watch the good the good comedy routines and things like that from years gone by body language is fabulous three stooges were great at it yeah you know that's one of the reasons i always thought ray mysterio was such an, an incredible talent because they always worked under the hood but yet Ray was able to get sympathy from the crowd with them not able to see his face. You know, it's just, it was just an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. Work under a it's, it's, yeah. It's the body language because they have no face. They have no hair. They, 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 they even when the head moves, it's, it's like it's moving in slow motion because it's just that one thing sitting there with a mask on it. It's difficult to learn how to work under a mask. I think if, if you can teach people to work under a mask, you can teach them how to work. Because then they learn how to do body language. Because it's hard to teach body language when when they when they think other people are watching them. When when they you, people can see your face. If they can't see your face, you can do a lot of things when you're when you're hidden. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like watching Randy from the Bleachers. You can do a lot of things. You can, you can observe a lot when you can't. <laughs> <laughs> You know, some fun wrestling trivia sometimes, you know, uh, Lita was once part of uh, Godfather's Girls, you know, when she was an extra, and then she becomes this Hall of Famer and this great big star. DDP was once your car driver at WrestleMania 6, right? Did, did yeah. you, uh, did, did was DDP just starting in the business then and get, trying he, to get in? Or he had, I, I suppose he was working in, in Florida around down there. Uh, the office there had then closed. I don't know what was going on. Jerry probably knew more about it. Yeah, uh, DDP first called me. It would be 1981, I believe it was, 82. And when he was he, wanting he to get in the business, he was working at a bar at Fort Myers, Florida, and he was wanting wanting to get in the business at that time. And so that's about the time frame that he started. Yeah, he had he had been around for a while doing things and and uh you know, uh, he had. I would. I probably would have done the same thing if, if you know, WWE called me and said, "Listen, can you pick this truck up and drive it over here for us and be on this show?" And I probably back then, you know, wanting to be there and wanting to be part of it, I would have done it too. Uh, he didn't get the job then. He, they didn't even give him a tryout. They didn't even bother looking at him at all. And uh, really? so he just showed up. I mean, I, I would have done it too. I wouldn't say it was a bad thing. I was. You know, we all take jobs when we first start trying right. to break in any way possible. And it's funny, you know, you look at wrestling history about different stuff we have done over the years. And now all of a sudden these guys become Hall of Famers and, and massive stars. Yeah, they didn't. Uh, he They didn't even put him out there on like a dark match to set the cameras or anything. So, I mean, he, he got nothing. He got nothing, but the, you know, free, he, got, he got a free lunch and, the, you know, at catering, he got dried chicken breast. <laughs> and our catering, our catering back in those days wasn't prime uh, five-star restaurant catering either. It was marinero uh, sauce with a, with a baked chicken breast, and that was it. <laughs> I tell people this, and a lot of people don't believe it, John. I mean, you've, I just, 
it, they had nice stuff when you were there, but I'm going to tell you <laughs> when we, when we, we didn't have catering, it was for union only. And they, we would go in and, and take the food from the, because in up, up on the East coast, everything's union and the union gets food. They get their food catered. They have to have all this stuff like in Hollywood. And uh, so we were, we would all go in there and get that food and eat and, and take it and grab us stuff and go. And uh, uh, Vince got word of it. So they put the sign on the door, said, uh, no wrestlers, union <laughs> workers only. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. <laughs> and, yes, yes. We, we would still sneak in there and get food. And then the union guys, they said, what are you guys doing? Why is that? Thing? The union guys went to bat for us, said, look, if you guys want to eat in here with us, come on in. So we did. Vince couldn't stop it. He finally had to just open it up then and started to, you know, catering it and everything. So, uh, yeah, that's how it came about. The only time we got food was on that Thanksgiving Survivor Series. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and you had to eat it before it ended up in the food fight. <laughs> yeah, that's the only time we got any food, you know. And then uh, in the beginning, it was not that not a, not a big deal. But then he, Vince, being Vince, you know, he wanted to make it a big spread and bring your family and let everybody else see, you, you know, how, how he put to show on and he can i mean vince can put on a good show now i'm gonna tell you that he he's first class when he wants to do something he does it right yeah absolutely uh with everything he does uh hoggy look i, I want to thank you so much for uh coming on our show there's so much more to talk about from uh rockabilly to wcw but i don't want to keep it forever but thank you so much for coming well, i'll tell you I, I can quickly tell you about uh wcw please I wasn't there long enough to learn the words to the song. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I went there. Jimmy kept bothering me and calling me and wanting me to go there. And then Flair, Flair calls me once and he's got Jesse Ventura sitting there and Flair's on the phone. He says, Hey, we'd like to bring you in and give you a tryout and then take a look at you. I said, well, damn Rick. I said, you, cause Jesse was on the phone first. So he, uh, Flair wants to talk to you and uh, and everything. You might have a shot in here. I said, okay. So Flair gets on. So we'd like to bring you in. I want to get a, get a look at you and let you have a tryout match. I said, well, damn, Rick, you know who I am. you know me for 20 years. You know what I can do. I don't need to try out. I said, shit, if you want to see me, rent one of the WWE videotapes. So, but anyway, <laughs> that, that kind of died on the vine. And then uh, and then Rick kind of got moved out of that spot. And and then uh, the fabulous Eric Bischoff took over. And uh and Jimmy kept pushing for me to come in, and uh, Hulk really was looking for support too, because he didn't know how it was going to be going there. And he would, Hulk's kind of guy that he don't like to test out these 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 waters unless he knows how deep it is. And and uh, uh, so he wanted some some people around him that he knew that was good support that could you know that he knew could carry the carry the ball if they needed to. And uh, I went in there, and and the first very first time I met Eric Bischoff, didn't know him, never seen him before in my life. We was outside the studios there at Disney or Universal, one of them, and he, he walked up and I said, hi. I said, I'm Honky Tonk Man. He says, yeah, I know who you are. He said, I, I've never been a fan of yours. Never was a huh. fan of your gimmick. I said, I said, oh, well, I hope I can change your mind, Eric. He said, I don't think so. And he walked away. <laughs> I called my wife. I said, I won't be here long. She said, what now? I said, well, the guy that signs the checks and gives out the contract said he's not a fan of mine. I said, yeah, but I'll see what I can do. And that was about it. And I never got a contract. And then they wanted to beat me on TV and right off the get-go. And I said, well, you know, I can't do that. And I said, I'm not on the team right now. I said, you put me on a team, I'll be a team player. But 
I can't do that. He said, well, you did it for Vince. I said, that's an insult. You, you couldn't carry Vince McMahon's jock strap. And I walked out. I, I, I ain't going to put up with that kind of stuff. No. You ain't got to say that. You ain't got to say that. No. Well, Honky, we won't say that to you. Anyway, anyway uh, we won't say that, but we'll remind, we'll remind Eric Bishop about what you said. Yeah. <laughs> he, he is a friend of ours, so we will, yeah. uh, you know. Well, you know, Eric's Eric, so I just, that's just how he is. And I didn't know him then. I still don't know him, so I don't – that's how it is. It ain't the first time I got fired. It ain't the first time I quit. <laughs> I told Jim Raw. I told Jim one time, I said, Jim, you know, we got something in common. He said, yeah, what's that? I said, we've both been fired by the same company. He said, well, I've been More fired than... by both companies. I said, well, I have two. <laughs> but real quick on Billy Gunn thing. That just, you know what happened on that? Uh, uh, both you guys, I'll tell you what I thought happened. It drug on too long. I was out there every week for about a month, maybe even longer. And we still hadn't picked someone. We were still, I'm looking for the next thing. I'm looking for it. I'm looking for the next greatest intercontinental champion. And it just, it, I think it went on too long. It went four or five, maybe six weeks. And I really thought it should have been somebody new, somebody fresh, some younger guy that you could take. Billy was there and had been there quite a while and was established and then, you know, had been busted up the tag team. He was out doing singles in and they wanted to push him as a single. I think they could have without me. He probably would have done a lot better. I cast a big shadow there when I walked out with him and it was hard for him to overcome. And I, I, I would not have wanted to be in his position to be there trying to get over with a guy outside with a guitar and a jumpsuit who everybody, you know, they, they want to kill me and not paying any attention to him. And, and I understand that. And I think Billy understands it now. But it was difficult, and they was not putting him in good stuff. And I wasn't with him on the road. I was only with him on TV. And I asked him, what are, you, what are they doing with you out here on the, in the, on the road? And it was in the summer back then when they were doing those shows up in the uh, Nantucket, all up through there, on those small shows, you know, with, you know the uh, circle. Uh, the, the Ford show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he said, I'm working, I'm doing jobs for Flash Funk, and this kid, Rocky Maivia. I said, oh, I said, well, what match you got? He said, first match. So, I, But I knew right then, I said, that, that doesn't look too good. That's going to be hard to overcome. And uh, it just didn't work out. But yeah, then Billy, you know, Billy, yeah, Billy went yeah. on to do, you know, when they did the thing with DX and then and they hit me over the head and fired me, that was, it's the best thing that happened to them. And the best thing happened to me, I got out of there, I was done. They actually did fire me that night, I was done. <laughs> they didn't tell me, but I wasn't on the bookie sheet anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and Billy, Billy had a great body. Billy was a great worker, good guy, really good guy too. They just weren't doing anything with him at that time. You know, yeah, they, and Billy they took him from nothing, and they were beating him all the time, trying to find it, something for yeah, him. And then yeah. he decided to put him in something. It just it, it was it was I, too late. It drug right. on too. If they were going to do it, they should have done it like after the second week. I found him right away. This is the guy, and and then go with it. But it drug on too long until I don't think they really knew how what direction they wanted to go with him. Uh, he'd never done really single matches and it was difficult on him. And I know because I had been in tag teams for a long time before I got into singles. And it's hard when you've always been in tags to go out now and start working single matches. It, 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 it's, yeah. a, it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. And you know, uh, I don't think they expected anything out of him and Road Dog. They put them together, but they weren't really doing anything with either one. And all of a sudden, yeah. they, they literally became one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Yeah, they, they did. Were, they were it, fantastic. 
but nobody knew they could talk. Nobody knew they could be the characters that they were. You know, it ended up working out for everyone the best. You know, it it really did. I got out of there. I was out of the shadows. I didn't care about being a manager really because it was just, it was not my cup of tea. I didn't even know how to do it because uh, I had never been a manager of anything. I was always the guy in the ring leading the stuff and telling the manager what to do. I mean, I, I knew where to be and what not to do, but uh, when you got heat, it's like Bobby Heenan. Uh, Rick Root hated being with Bobby Heenan. I can understand it. I think if I had been with Bobby, I might never have gotten over it. Bobby took the heat from people. People wanted to see Bobby Heenan, the weasel, the weasel. And then Bobby turned and looked at them. And when you look at them, they weasel you more. So then there's the, the guy, your guy in the ring, they're not watching him. Sometimes a manager can overshadow somebody. And uh, and I think that 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 was could have happened. And I'm glad it, I'm I'm glad for Billy. And I'm glad for Road Dog because they're they're both good talents that ended up doing great. And the DX thing just took off like crazy. And I, I knew when that girl, when China got involved in it, I, she was, I knew her from Killer Kowalski. I had, I had worked out with her a little bit. So I knew what she could do anyway beforehand. And her best move was Lawler wanted to bring her to Memphis. And I told Killer, I said, don't let that girl go there. I said, she'll end up quitting the business. And he didn't, he, he, he blocked it and kept her in WWE, which was worked out for her. You know, one of the Cause I just know, I just know what they do in Memphis. <laughs> I know what they do with young folks down there. You know, I mean, it's don't you know have a cousin there? Don't you have a cousin there or something? <laughs> I just know what they do to people. So, well, it was know, a same, it was the same thing that I knew what they did here in Florida with people like you. You know, you you gave them the same advice that I gave you. Basically, you don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, this is, I told Killer. He said, "What do you think?" I said, "Don't do it, Killer. Don't let her go there." I said, "It's not going to work out." Um, just the way she looked and everything, and the people down, they would have. I mean, Lotter would have had a field day with it. I mean, it would have been good for them and for their business, but it would not. It wouldn't have done anything for her. And I think the way it worked out for her was the best because she ended up being as good as the guys. And uh, yeah, it's a, it was a wonderful addition to DX. It was. It worked really, out really, really well. Make that group. Yeah. That was- and that's that's the whole thing about this business. When the gear uh, and, and Jerry asked me about about the Randy earlier, when you finally get the gears in there and they're clicking. Man, the thing rolls along with no problems, but it's really hard to get that combination of gears. And Vince's, Vince's, uh, you know, he's still trying to find it now. He, he don't have a rock. He don't have a stone cold. He don't have a hook. He, he don't have a Cena. Those people just aren't born every day. No, but when it comes together, it, it's it's like they say, it's music. It, it's a it's a it's an orchestra out and there. Go, you know, and it'll run. And, and that, that machine, that machine it'll, it'll run for a long time. Yeah, it'll but run it's, for a long time. Just, it's hard, man. If we had, if we could just find them. Yeah, that's it. Well, Wayne, we want to thank you again, man. This has been a, the time has just flown by here. We appreciate you taking your time out from Arizona. Is there anything that you you're doing that you want to you want to tell folks about that we're going to no, help you I, out? I, just, I go out here and I do these comic cons. You know, I, I was with John here a couple of weeks ago on one, and and he he just kind of ruined my whole weekend. I came home and I saw my daughter's Texas A and M backpack laying there, and I wanted to go kick it because uh, <laughs> I thought about that. About that three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars that I had donated over there to Texas A and M, he said it was to pay, uh, pay, uh, pay, uh, pay old Jimbo's uh, salary, and it's kind of just bothered me to death now. But uh, to think that I throw my money away like that, but she got a good education over there, and she's a doctor now, so I'm happy. Oh, but congratulations! No, I, just, I, I, 
I go out and do these comic cons and signings and, uh, I don't have a lot to do with the wrestling part of anything anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's passed me by and, uh, and, uh, I'm just, I don't have a lot of interest in it. I got to ask you this. Wes told me this story. He said he was on an independent show with you. And, 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 and I love this by the way. So I'm not, not doing it to, to, to knock anything, but, uh, you tell these guys, some of these guys, kid, you got one bump out of me. Use it wisely. And, he, you, and so you're with this guy, and he bumps you at the very beginning of the match. You said, that's, that's it. it. That's, that's the old. last one you get. <laughs> I'm uh, out of here. Yeah. Terry, Taylor, <laughs> Terry Taylor got excited one night. Bing, bing, bing. We was over there, and he, he's the red rooster, and he's a cocking and a walking, and bing, bing, bing. He picks me up and slammed me, and I went, why did you do that? And he went, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he still talks about it today. You only got so many bumps in you. And I, I always believe that the man that's still standing is the one that can uh, work on his feet, not off his feet. Oh. So uh, I, I did my share. I did my share when Larry and I were together working in Memphis, working for the Fullers, over the top backdrops, over the top drop kicks and on the floor slams and uh, you name it. I did it. And I did my share of them. And I said, man, I'll be so glad when I get to be uh, Luthez's age and, 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 and I can go out there and do a Luthez match. And then when I got his age, he want to kick me out of the business. <laughs> well, I, I want to leave you, but you, you got to do me a favor. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say something and you finish it. Ladies and gentlemen, longest reigning, the most entertaining and the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, because he's. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jerry. I really appreciate that. I'm the honky tonk man. I'm cool, I'm cocky, and I'm bad. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm cool, I'm cocky, I'm bad. I'm coming there to you your go. town in a pink Cadillac. <laughs> Check us out on Cameo. Get a cameo from the wrestling god or Oklahoma's favorite son. Two WWE Hall of Famers will send you a cameo, a message, a Merry Christmas, whatever you want. And don't forget, boxagimmicks.com. The merch coming from the Briscoe and Bradshaw show. It's flying off the shelves. Mm -hmm.